0: Jcastnetwork.org.
1: Welcome to the daily Daf Differently. I'm Rabbi Jan Urbach, and today we're studying Masechet Sukkot, Daf Bet, page two. We begin today a new Masechet Sukkah, having to do, obviously, with the festival of Sukkot. The Mishnah begins with the question of what constitutes a valid Sukkah, and we have four requirements. First, it can't be too high. A sukkah that is higher than 20 cubits, a cubit being the distance from the elbow to the end of the middle finger, roughly 48 to 58 centimeters, so 20 cubits is somewhere between 31 and and 37.8 feet high. Um, a sukkah that is higher than that is pasul. It's not valid. Although Rabbi Yehuda says it's kasher, it is valid. Second, a sukkah can't be too short. If it's not at least 10 hands-breaths high, a hands breadth being about 8 centimeters, so we're talking maybe 2.6 feet, um, a sukkah that isn't at least that high is pasul. Third, it has to have at least three walls, as defined later. And fourth, if the amount of sunlight passing through the schach, the roofing, is greater than the shade, the sukkah is pasul. It's not valid. On this stuff, the Gemara focuses on the issue of height. So what's wrong with a super high sukkah? The first answer is by Rabbah. In Leviticus 23, verses 42 to 43, the Torah commands us to dwell in Sukkot for seven days, quote, so that your future generations will know that I caused the children of Israel to dwell in Sukkot. That is, when we were coming out of Egypt. And Rabbah says, up to 20 cubits high, the eye naturally sees the roof, the schach, and we're aware we're in a sukkah. If it's higher than that, we don't naturally notice the roof. And therefore, we won't be aware that we're in a sukkah. And if the whole point is that we'll know, then the point of the mitzvah is lost. Rabbi offers a different derivation. He quotes Isaiah chapter 4, verse 6, a verse that connects the sukkah specifically with shade from the heat during the day. And up to 20 cubits, he says, we may actually be under the shade of the roof, under the schach. But higher than that, the shade will be provided instead by the walls. And so we won't be fulfilling the mitzvah of having shade from the roof of the sukkah. Rava offers a third reason. He bases the height limitation on the sukkah on the requirement that the sukkah be a temporary structure. The point of the mitzvah to dwell in the sukkah is to leave one's permanent residence and reside in a temporary residence. And a temporary residence is not generally built higher than 20 cubits. The Gemara then goes on to explore these opinions further, focusing especially on the disagreement between the rabbis of the Mishnah and Rabbi Yehuda regarding a sukkah that is higher than 20 cubits. In attempting to understand the circumstances of Rabbi Yehuda's disagreement, the Talmud reports a particular incident, which Rabbi Yehuda cites in support of his position. Rabbi Yehuda said, There was an incident involving Queen Helene in Lod. So who is Queen Helene? She apparently converted to Judaism and was considered to be a righteous woman who observed the halakha. According to Rabbi Yehuda, this woman had a sukkah that was more than 20 cubits high, and the elders were seen entering and leaving her sukkah, and none of them said anything to her about it. This then, according to Rabbi Yehuda, teaches that such a sukkah must be valid. Before going further, I want to note that this is an example of the halakha being learned not from books and logical analysis alone, but from practice. And here we learn not only from what the sages themselves do, but from what they acquiesce to. Since they said nothing, Rabbi Yehuda learns from that, that they deemed it a kosher sukkah. The idea that others may learn from our practice is part of the basis of our concern for marit ayin, how our behavior will appear to and perhaps mislead others. There are many different types of marit Ayan. What we're seeing here is the assumption that elders or sages are knowledgeable, act in accordance with halakha, and will intercede or speak up if someone is erring in his or her observance. There's a beautiful sense of humility and respect in that, that we in liberal Jewish circles might do well to reclaim. Too often, we're very quick to criticize and judge the behavior of another as just wrong, even when the other is learned and serious about Jewish observance, even sometimes when the other is an admired teacher or rabbi. Here, we're reminded to approach another with the assumption that those who we respect and admire must be behaving properly, and perhaps it's we who don't understand. But back to the text, The Gemara does indeed challenge whether this is valid proof. After all, since Queen Helene was a woman and therefore exempt from the mitzvah of the sukkah, the silence of the elders means nothing. Maybe they just saw no need to correct her. If there's no halachic significance to her sukkah, who cares if it's kasher or pasul, if it's valid or not? Why bother setting her straight? But Rabbi Yehuda responds, didn't she have seven sons? And further, All of her actions were performed only according to the sages. This is just fantastic. The rest of the daf and the beginning of the next will further explore the circumstances of this sukkah. But before turning to that, the Gemara has a question the first part of Rabbi Yehuda's response would seem to suffice. Look, she has seven sons, and they're obligated for the mitzvah, so she needs a kosher sukkah, and if the elders said nothing, that's proof that it was kosher. So why does he then go on to say, and anyway, this woman follows the halakha as it's taught by the sages? Why indeed, the Gemara does find a reason. Maybe her sons were all minors, not yet bar mitzvah, and therefore they're not obligated to from the Torah for the mitzvah of sukkah. But at least one of them must have been old enough to no longer need his mother. And the rabbanan, by rabbinic law, such a child is obligated for the sukkah. And maybe you might think that this woman, Queen Helena, didn't observe rabbinic law, and therefore Rabbi Yehuda had to counter that objection by saying that she did follow rabbinic law, she followed the directions of the sages. And therefore, her sukkah would have to be kosher for the sake of her son, so if the elders didn't say anything, we can assume the sukkah higher than 20 cubits was in fact kosher. But... Maybe such a convoluted and, in reality, somewhat far-fetched case isn't actually what Rabbi Yehuda meant. Maybe he really was simply saying, as it sounds, that even though Queen Helena might not have been obligated herself to dwell in the sukkah, she's known to be someone who is serious and careful about halakha. Perhaps Rabbi Yehuda is teaching that in dealing with such a person, the elders would certainly have been sufficiently respectful of her to correct her if she was in error. What a beautiful lesson that would be, that one should never dismiss another person as being unworthy of learning, or not worth one's time and energy to teach. Or even more radically, perhaps Rabbi Yehuda was actually suggesting That if such a woman took on the mitzvah of building and dwelling in a sukkah she would certainly have done it according to the sages specifications she would have made the effort to do it according to the halakha might it be possible that rabbi yehuda is saying here that the elders trusted the kashrut of this woman's sukkah and that he rabbi yehuda Learned a halakha from her, a convert and a woman. That's today's Daff Differently. More on the sukkah tomorrow.
0: I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.